All right, I'll be reading from 2 Timothy 1, gentlemen. Just a brief reading this morning. We have a lot to do today. I think we scared some of the guys off last week talking about marriage and being a leader in the home. Hopefully not. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Verse 12, actually. For this reason, I also suffer these things. 2 Timothy 1, 12. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Let's pray. And Father in heaven, godliness starts in the morning. And what a joy it is to know that you reign and to be here with like-minded brothers who love you and love your word. And we thank you that your love is upon us and nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We cling to those promises this morning. We are weak and needy and dependent on you. And help us to take up this this call to retain the standard of sound words, to guard by the Holy Spirit, the word of God, which has been entrusted to us. Thank you for these men. Thank you for this food. We ask that you would strengthen us and only that which is conforming to your word would be said this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gentlemen. Uh, You should have somewhat of a bundle of notes this morning. Definitely grab The first thing I'll call your attention to in our study here of uh, biblical masculinity, um, just an excursus that you can read later. That'll make more sense when we get into the notes here. And that is uh, this document that's called something like 10 Reasons. Make sure you get that document. 10 Reasons Why the Bible Holds or the Bible's View of Women is Higher Than uh, any, the View of Women from Any Other System, Religion, Ideology, Philosophy in the Universe. Um, and that's just for your uh, later edification. Um, In the meantime, uh, as we are endeavoring to be obedient to Scripture, to look at what Scripture says about masculinity and um, uh, battle these, the aberrant views thereof from the world, uh, we started last week and uh, we're looking at the call on men to embrace masculinity as husbands in their marriage. We've looked at uh, masculinity in the cross, did a lot of foundational stuff from Genesis 1, Genesis 2, um, the cultural mandate, how the curse has affected us as men. And we've looked at masculinity and embracing discomfort. Um, And now we're looking at masculinity and marriage. And this will probably be We'll probably this week and one more week, and uh, we'll keep going. So last week in marriage, what, uh, uh, Brother Cole, good to see you this morning. Um, last week, I can't remember if you're here, so pardon me if you weren't. What did we see as kind of the role, the threefold role of a husband from Scripture? That was a lover, yeah. a leader, and a learner. 
Yeah, very good. Yeah, so scripture calls us as men, as we looked at extensively uh, last week, to love a husband, to love his wife, to lead her, and to be a learner of her. Um, and to love her comes from Ephesians 5.25, husbands Christ of the church, sacrificial, initiatory, um, self-giving, uh, to also lead our wives, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3, and Ephesians 5.22-24, that a husband is uh, has headship over his wife. This is also seen in the garden, in Genesis 1 and 2, in the same way that Christ does over the church, leadership. And then finally, to learn to be a wifeologist, insert your wife's name if you have one, ologist from 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with their wives in an understanding way. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. So uh, by God's grace, we are to uh, endeavor in these things, and they're very difficult, and uh, it's a great joy. Um, as we think about marriage, we want to think about glorifying God. It's easy to fall off that edge and to make other endeavors our greatest glory, uh, peace in the home, other things which we'll look at this morning. But the glory of God and pleasing God uh, from his word is the goal of marriage. Doug Wilson writes that the greatest desire of an obedient heart is the glory of God, not the happiness of the household. If individuals are seeking the glory of God, that'll be the greatest happiness. He says the reason we can be or are miserable in our marriages is because we have idolized them, it's because we worship them. That's good insight right there. So the glory of God is, he says, more important than our domestic happiness. Those who place their wives before God will lose their wives. And that's true in just about any endeavor. So... With that as an introduction and, and knowing that we uh, covered us and our roles as men extensively last week, we're going to look to the women today. Uh, number six there in your notes, and it's number six because it continues from last week, number five, God's call to dignified biblical femininity. And we're not studying this because men are called to get in touch with their feminized or feminine side. You don't have a feminine side if you're a man. That's not, that's uh, fooey. But rather, um, we want to we uh, further our understanding of how things can go wrong in relationships between man and woman and between uh, husband and wife. And in the Proverbs, is it Proverbs 30, beginning at 31 or end of 30, the writer of Proverbs says, you know, there's three things I cannot understand, no four, paraphrasing, that are baffling to me. The way of the ship on the sea. You know, maybe uh, I think he says the shepanaim, the, the marmots and the rocks, and a guy with a gal, a guy with a gal. Um, so some of this morning's lesson might, might seem sort of surprising to um, a post-postmodern evangelical audience, and the, some, it might not. And the reason for that could be because... Uh, we, we, like, a, like a frog in boiling water, we've been slowly and unhelpfully conditioned in a culture, not just in the last three years, but maybe a hundred, uh, that is hostile towards the biblical idea of masculinity. Um, 
and, and, and things like critical theory and standpoint epistemology have slowly conditioned us, you know, I'd say maybe especially since the 60s, that, uh, that the middle class, straight white male, upper middle class and even ab above that white male, is the villain of society. And he's guilty until proven innocent. Um, and so as we looked at our role as men and current or future husbands last week, and endeavoring to understand what, what has gone wrong in, 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 in marriage and society. We also want to look at that from a feminine side, uh, what's, what's happened there. We know that ladies, are, uh, as, we, as we set out here, are made in the image of God, just like men. Um, and they are utterly equal in value and worth. That's, that's without question. Again, see that document uh, on 10 reasons. Uh, John Angel James wrote, in the 18th century, Christianity, in your notes there, has been the restorer of woman's plundered rights and has furnished the brightest jewels in her present crown of honor. Her, previously, her previous degradation accounts in part, at least, for the instability of early civilization. It's impossible for society to be permanently elevated where woman is debased and servile. Wherever females are regarded as inferior beings, society continues within itself the elements of dissolution and the obstruction of all solid improvement. It's impossible that institutions and usages without which oppose and stifle the instincts of our nature and violate the revealed law of God can be crowned with ultimate success. Wherever Christianity is understood and felt, woman is free. And we say that unapologetically. And, uh, and, and that is 10,000% true. It's feminism whether uh, paleo-feminism from like the, the Cretan culture, um, uh, the Cretan culture or Ephesian culture uh, or modern day culture that is, that is suppressive and oppressive to women. It's not the hetero white middle class male that it's the, that's the uh, villain oppressor of society, which is what critical race theory teaches. Um, it's Satan and views that deviate from scripture. Uh, the gospel, uh, John James go, go, uh, go, goes on to write, like a kind angel opens her prison doors and bids her walk abroad and enjoy the sunlight of reason and breathe the invigoration air of intellectual freedom. So easing on into this, uh, I, I wanna look briefly, revisit from the New Testament so we can kind of calibrate our minds uh, what scripture says to and about women. Okay. Number one, in no particular order, uh, creation and creation order informs marriage. First Corinthians 11, three, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. So as soon as you start attacking and try to rearrange that, you automatically are of the Trinity. Okay. If you try to flip that around and well, you know, she's the boss of the home. And uh, I, I just wish men would never say that. Uh, I wish we would, would bury that saying um, because that has flipped the good, the good design that our blessed God has put into creation and is representing representative of himself in the triune God, which you see in 11.3. Second, orderliness in churches. The context here, of course, uh, was in the Corinthian churches. If you were with us a long, long time ago when we studied through 1 Corinthians, there's a lack of excellence in local churches. 
uh, evidenced by uh, sort of Pentecostal charismatic uh, tendencies in the corporate gathering, everyone jumping around and just doing crazy stuff. God is correcting that. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as an, and, and commentators think that this phrase as in all the churches of the saints is actually the beginning of the sentence, which starts in verse 34. So it should read as in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home for some proper for a woman to speak in church. And of course, uh, that refers to uh, like teaching, not, not you know, in, in conversation afterwards and hanging out. Obviously, it doesn't mean that. Um, some have, have said, well, that, 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 that command is just for the Corinthians in the first century. Um, but there's just, there's uh, several problems with that. First of all, that phrase, as in all the churches of the saints. Second, in verse 34 there, look there. The women are to keep silent in the churches. So that's plural. So that's a universal principle. It doesn't say in the Christian church. Um, and then in light of verse 35, of course, their husbands, this means that a husband is to be a theologian and, and have extensive biblical knowledge so that he can uh, shepherd his wife. Uh, number three, marriage roles. Ephesians 5, we're familiar with this. Verse 22, wives be subject. Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. The body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. I notice it doesn't say if they feel like it. Uh, if their husband have, if their husbands have, uh, you know, perfectly obeyed this week, if their husbands have done this or that, it just says in everything. It's modeled after Christ and the church, not anything else. Verse thirty-three. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Universal command. Verse thirty-three. There. Now the word respect is interesting. Phobos. Fear. It's the same word that's used, the Greek word for fear God, reverence. And it means, the Greek word means to have such awe or respect for a person as to involve a measure of fear, to fear, to show great reverence, show great respect for. This is lost in our day where the husband is pictured as Archie Bunker, Al Bundy, and Homer Simpson. Um, and, and, and we utterly reject that. Men should be held high in society. Nancy Wilson, the, the, all the ladies in the, in the church are going to read this book this year um, called The Fruit of Her Hands, says, quote, this, this is a wife. Some women are puzzled by this command to respect their husband. They think respect is simply uh, an emotion, I should say. Sorry about it. If they don't feel like it, well, then there's nothing they can do about it. Yes, respect is a, is a feeling, but it's also something we choose to do. It is something that involves action on our part to feel or to show honor or esteem for, consider or treat with deference or courtesy to show consideration for. Sorry about the typo there. So that's, that's a wife's role, to respect her husband. Fourth, as we look at the roles of women, dignified femininity and Christian maturity means modesty inside and out. First Timothy 2.9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. That, that was... Uh, a sign of great immodesty in that culture, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Uh, and the likewise there in verse 9 means we look at what comes before, verse 8, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. 
So without dissension, likewise, women clothe yourselves modestly and don't be don't ever show any dissension about that. Okay. Um, again, sometimes people will say, "Well, that's just for the old days and you know, in more conservative times." Um, uh, this is universal. Peter mentions it as well, uh, and consider that <clears throat> Timothy is speaking to Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is like, you know, it's like L.A. This isn't like, it wasn't a, you know, a little Mennonite Midwestern town in the 1800s. Yeah, this was a feminist city. Fifth, in leadership roles in the church, similarly, 1 Timothy 2.11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. How do we know this is universal, all time, even in our in our, in our 21st century days, because, verse 13, for it was Adam who was created, uh, first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So there, there's zero confusion here. Uh, any confusion is unnecessarily created because of rebellion against the text and a fleshly desire and chafing under these good God-glorifying design uh, for men and women. How do, we know, how do we know this text isn't limited to the Ephesian church? How do we know it's timeless? Verses 13 and 14. Yeah. Yeah, in creation. Is that, is that just for, is that creation stuff there only in Ephesian culture? No. Uh, it's in Genesis 2, right? And then Genesis 3. Okay. Um, number six, exemplary womanhood. 1 Timothy 3.11, women must likewise be, this is a deacon's, be dignified, that Greek word there, dignified, means her presence draws out godliness and demands respect from other women. Uh, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Any thoughts on why out of four qualifications for a woman deacon, one of them is not a malicious gossip? Go ahead, say it. Okay, why else? It's... That's how it is. Yeah. Thank you. Spot on. Number seven, God's design for older and younger married women. Uh, and scripture here kind of categorizes as far as, you know, those who are married into these two categories. Um, uh, and again, when you think about this Titus 2, this is not, you know, 19th century Mennonite culture in, in middle America. This is Crete. This is Crete. What was Crete like in this day when Paul gives his command? Yeah. Paul says, even one of their own, and Titus 1.12 says, Cretans are evil beasts, liars, and lazy gluttons. And there is this kind of feminine, I, I've been to Crete, and, and it's still like that. And, uh, but it's even more so then. It was just a wild, drunken culture, this island. And Paul says this right here in Titus 2. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, Verse 4, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And Paul just drops that. I don't care how this culture is. This is what we're going to do. 
and by the grace of God and the kindness of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit through the informing of the word, God's people are going to be like this so that the word of God isn't dishonored. We're going, to, we're going to be a witness to the culture. John MacArthur says the home, speaking of that workers at home, the home, quote, is a wife's special domain and always should be her highest priority. And we, and we, we honor that and agree with that. Number eight here, dignified femininity and wife's response to an imperfect husband, 1 Peter 3, 1. In the same way, in the same way, going back to how Christ submitted to uh, reviling on the cross, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, call it spiritual abuse. No, it's not what it is. They, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one, uh, one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, put on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And of course, in verse six, he has to bring up Sarah and Abraham. One of the hardest situations of a wife to submit to a husband that we know of in holy writ. You can read Genesis 12 and Genesis 20 later, what Sarah had to go through. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, not just, well, 50-50, you do your part, I'll, I'll do my part. It says right here, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you become her children if you do what's right without being frightened by any fear. Wives can be fearful in those situations, and sometimes understandably, because husbands can be rascals. But she is called to not have any fear and to trust God like Sarah did in a very difficult circumstance at times. Okay? Um, if these verses cause, you know, individuals to kind of cringe a little bit and say, well, that's just outdated. We understand they're being informed by the world, the flesh, the devil, and not God and Holy Spirit and his word. Okay? So let's talk about letter C, the curse and femininity. Uh, Genesis 3.16. We need to look at this so we understand some of the source of our problems. Uh, men sin just as much. We talked about that last week in our roles. Um, this isn't saying that every problem in marriage is the wife's fault, not at all. Uh, we are, sin comes from the heart. Both genders have a heart. Both genders are equally depraved. Um, but because of the cultural uh, foul water in which we've been swimming for a while with critical theory, uh, saying that the, the man is sort of the villain, that things need to be balanced out a little bit in, in our day. And so some additional things need to be said. Um, uh, it's, if there's an accusation typically uh, in a marriage, again, it usually what happens is the, the woman is considered innocent until proven guilty, and the man is considered guilty until proven innocent. That's typically how a lot of counseling situations proceed. And, and based on the, inform, the information of the word and depravity, that's, that's a false way to go. Uh, and if you listen to, if you go and listen to, uh, in, in more mainstream evangelicalism, Mother Day sermons, it's, uh, the allotted time of 29 minutes of just exalting women, uh, which is good. But if you were to listen to that, that same church's Father's Day sermon, it would just be bashing the men and, and just trashing them. This is a very common thing and it's, uh, imbalanced biblically. Um, so Genesis 3.16 tells us to the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your pain, and the Hebrew word is and childbirth, 
and pain, you'll bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So there's a question of, in the context of the curse, what does that word desire mean? How is it that her desire is for her husband when the context here is a curse, a bad thing? Some have said, well, that desire means she's really going to have great desires to love and serve and submit and, and, and romantic desires for her husband. Uh, is that, does that fit the context of a curse? No, right? Hermeneutics. Context. Okay. So um, the curse is something that is bad that's happened where our spiritual moral DNA is corrupted. And so commentators over the years have, and God's people have observed that, uh, that there's the exact same word that's used for desire in Genesis 3.16 is also in Genesis 4.7, which is in your notes. So the curse is going to be something that propagates the flesh. And the fruit of the flesh, Galatians 5.20, is things like idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, being controlled by feelings, disputes, dissension, factions. So the MacArthur Study Bible here observes, quote, just as the woman and her seed will engage in a war with the serpents, i.e. Satan, his seed, because of sin and the curse, the man and the woman will face struggles in their own relationship. Sin has turned the harmonious system of God-ordained roles into dis distasteful struggles of self-will. Lifelong companions, husband and wives, will need God's help in getting along as a result, right? Curse. If you've been married for longer than your honeymoon, you can relate to this if, if you're not a liar. The woman's desire will be to lord it over her husband, but the husband will rule by divine design. The interpretation of the curse is based upon the identical Hebrew words and grammar being used in Genesis 4-7. Similarly, Derek Kidner observes in his excellent commentary on Genesis, to love and to cherish becomes to desire and dominate. That's what the women want to do. That's a curse. That's their spiritual, moral DNA default. Okay, we've got to understand what's happening in the soul of the, uh, of, of the woman, at least the, in the flesh. Okay, one second. The pull of sin is always to it. An echo of the phrase in 4.7 conjures up still more vividly its suggestion of the jungle. I like that. I like Derek Kidner. Genesis 4.7, if you do, it says, if you do well, he's speaking to Cain, right? Remember Cain? Kills Abel, and he's like, hey, what's the matter? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Does that mean to, to romanticize, to serve, to bless, to come under? No, but you must master it. What is desire? Alan Ross in his commentary says these words show God's interpretation of desire, the same Hebrew word. In Genesis 3.16, desire means, as the DBL says, Dictionary of Biblical Languages, desire to dominate. And Kidner says it's the striking metaphor of taming a wild beast. That's, that's the way she's been cursed. Men, men are cursed in sin, often, not always. Men tend towards laziness, being passive, letting her, I just, uh, worshiping peace in the home. Just, oh my goodness, the last thing I can have is for her to be upset. So just, just whatever, we'll quiet her down. She's the boss, she's in charge, and that's sin. And I've committed that sin uh, in my almost 21 years of marriage. I've sinned in that way, and I need God's forgiveness, and thankfully I have it. But it's wrong. 
So therefore, one way in which the curse on the female gender manifests itself, a fallen desire to resist God's ordained roles for husband and wife, particularly rebelling against God's command to function as a helper suitable, who submits to the husband's leadership from the heart in gentleness, respect, and humility as unto the Lord. The curse has plagued her with a desire to dominate her husband, to overthrow the headship which God delegated to the husband, to disdain her role as helper suitable underneath his leadership, and instead to manufacture a mission independent of the husband. And that's important. Eve was never given a mission independent of the husband. What is her mission? Eve and wives after her. A suitable helper. Adam gets the mission, Genesis 2, take care of this garden. Keep, keep it, tend it, nourish it. And he brings Eve in. He doesn't say, you go find a career too. Go find something independent of me. It's a fascinating thing. He says, you're his helper, suitable to him. Interesting. And from which all these other commands like Titus 2, 3 to 5, from which they come. Uh, independent of the husband rather than conforming her mission to his, again, as a helper suitable. Therefore, feminism is, in a sense, an embracing of this manifestation of this spiritual moral degradation, the curse, rather than, a redeeming, and rather than redeeming and crucifying of it by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any, any failure to embrace God's design for femininity, the highest dignity for woman is sin, rebellion against God and a cherishing of the curse, this is the tendency of the modern woman. Through faith in Jesus Christ, this rebellion is forgiven, cleansed, and transformed to embrace God's design for femininity. Parker, you had a question. Uh, yeah, I couldn't help, as you helped explain that desire, given that Genesis 3.16 um, says, yet your desire will be for your husband um, instead of the Lord. I mean, is that what that means? Um, it could, I've, I've never heard that. I've never heard that, uh, interpretation of that before. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the parallel between Genesis three sixteen and four, seven are striking. Um, as we've seen in the notes there, God's people have observed that and experience as well. <laughs> uh, you know, th this is a problem that's to the United States since 1967, uh, but it's ubiquitous, right? The ESV actually translates that your desire shall be contrary to your husband. There you go. little amplified version there, nevertheless consistent exegetically. Okay, um, so let's, let's look at number two there, femininity and the curse versus blessing. So as with many things in life, wholehearted subjection to God's law results in blessing, while rebellion results in a curse, it's both of us. Uh, Psalm 1 portrays this. I was talking to my kids about this the other morning. I like Psalm 1. It's the two ways of life. The blessed man who immerses himself in the Bible and subjects himself to it, or the cursed man who rebels, right? The tree grounded by the stream or the chaff blown away. And then and Proverbs captures this, verse 12, uh, 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, blessing juxtaposed with but she who shames him which is the opposite of respect is like rottenness in his bones in the heart of every husband even a even a satanic god-hating husband i tell you in the heart of every husband 
It's a desire to be respected, to be cherished, to be submitted to, not because he's perfect, but because that's the hardwired rule. Every husband has this deep down desire, even those who say, I hate the Bible, I'm an atheist, uh, I, I don't believe any of it. They, they like that. I guarantee if their wife came home and said, honey, I want to, I want to be your helper. I want to help bless you. I want to come under your leadership. They're not going to say, oh, I don't like that. They're not going to do that. Okay. Um, first Peter three, seven, show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life versus it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, more transgress, uh, more juxtaposition there. John James captures this juxtaposition. Well, uh, in uh, his article on theology and family, he says, quote, woman was the completeness of man's bliss in paradise. At the same time, woman was the cause of sin and death to our world. She is either our companion, counselor, and comforter in the pilgrimage of life, or she's our tempter, scourge, and destroyer. And you can see this also in Proverbs 7. The whole chapter is devoted to that woman. She not only renders smooth or rough our path to the grave, but helps our or hinders our progress to immortality. In heaven, we shall bless God for her aid in assisting us to reach that blissful state or amidst the torrents of unutterable O in another region, we shall deplore the fatality of her influence. And CF there, Proverbs 7, 24 to 27. Look that up later. Proverbs 7, 24 to 27. Just, just a striking. I wish every guy would know that proverb, that chapter, and know it well. Thankfully, through repentance and faith in Christ and biblical shepherding, a woman like a man need not be stuck in the bitter fruits of the flesh and the curse. And again, brothers, if, if, if you are married and need help in any of this, please come. Let us come alongside you and, and walk through this to help shepherd your wife out of the fleshiness of being a modern woman. It's sin and it's dishonoring to God. Number three there, let's look at the curse and a woman's influence. Again, the purpose here isn't just to throw women under the bus. Um, men are just as sinful, but we need to have a biblical understanding, not a worldly understanding, and inf influenced by the, the demasculation of critical theory, and that's what it is. It's a stripping men of masculinity, critical theorists, um, of what's happening in the genders. And, uh, you know, it's not just that the guy is Homer Simpson, the woman might also be Jezebel. And so, again, just to balance things out here. So generally speaking, women have great power to influence their husbands for good and bad. Uh, a godly, mature, regenerate woman through her biblical knowledge, her restraint, her submissiveness, humility, and a quiet spirit can give such uplifting, such edifying, wonderful counsel and comfort to her husband, befitting whatever needs there might be in his struggles as a, as a helper suitable. However, an ungodly, fleshly woman of the modern age through her unsubmissiveness, pride, and individualistic and uncrucified flesh can negatively influence her husband by her contentiousness, nagging, unhelpful speech, opinionated demeanor, emotionalism and hurt feelings, and manipulation. Oh, what power, what power our wives have to harmfully influence us with these and other tools. And, and how often men are demasculated and fall prey to this harmful influence. Uh, and we're going to talk about, so what, what does a guy do if, you know, this is happening? We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. 
Um, in the latter situation of potentially harmful influence, a husband will need to be diligent to immerse in the means of grace, regular influence from strong Christian brothers, pray often for his wife and seek to lead her carefully with a long-term view. Um, harmful influence, a couple examples, Abraham and Sarah. And again, please don't say, oh, Erica's saying it's all the, the woman's fault. Don't, please don't say that. You guys know me better than that. But uh, Genesis 16.1, now Sarai, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. You guys know the context here. Abraham a covenant. Abraham in Genesis 12 has promised a, a numerous family. And he had an, she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, now behold, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my wife. In other words, go have sex with her. Uh, and perhaps I'll obtain children through her, my maid. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Obviously, Abraham shouldn't have listened to her. Uh, his wife had gone along with the plan. He's not innocent. Um, perhaps this is somewhat of an illustration of the, the, the curse on men as well as being passive and their leadership in the home. Um, but that doesn't take Sarah off the hook. She influenced Abraham into polygamy. A woman, this wife, influenced him to become a polygamist. Whoa. likely in a nagging way. Samson and Delilah. Again, Samson not innocent, but neither is Delilah. Look at her manipulative influence. So, so Samson was, uh, you know, a little rough around the edges, but he was a believer. Hebrews 11, he's there, right, in the hall of faith. <laughs> she, Delilah, says to him, how can you say I love you? You see that manipulation there. When your heart is not with me, you've deceived me these three times. She's trying to kill him and hand him over to the Philistines. Nice gal, huh? You've deceived me these three times and not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily, notice the words, with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. The Bible said it. He's annoyed to death. This is the contentious, nagging woman. And finally, he's like, okay. And where does Samson know? How does he end up? Blinded. Tortured. Ahab and Jezebel, 1 Kings 21. You remember the story. Ahab says, oh, that dude Naboth has a nice vineyard by my castle. I want that vineyard. He goes to Naboth and says, give that to me. And Naboth is like, I'm not going to give that to you, a wicked king. <laughs> I don't want my, father's, my righteous father's land in your name. And so Ahab goes home and he's depressed. And Jezebel says, what's your problem? He says, well, Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard. She says, whatever. So she concocts a plan uh, to, she hires dudes to lie about him, and then he's killed. And notice what it says in verse 25, 1 Kings 21, 25. Surely there was no one who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. It's not just him. This is a nagging, wicked, manipulative, evil wife. Contemporary examples, just stated abstractly, a fleshly wife who colors her husband's opinion about biblical doctrines, a woman who, isn't, who, is, who is fleshly, who's rebellious against the word of God and say the doctrines of sovereign grace. She might repeatedly speak negatively about a theological position and her husband eventually can be annoyed to death like Samson and allow himself to be influenced because he starts to give in instead of lead. <clears throat> Similarly, and this is a very common one, a fleshly wife who colors her husband's view of others in the church. Watch out for that, gentlemen. 
not made about, not motivated by the glory of God and the love of the brethren, and not matured by the practice of biblical communication and humility, subtle gossip and slander can drip by drip fill in her husband's mind and convince him that it's true. Maybe that guy really is like that, you know, or maybe the maybe another woman confronts her in the church because of her sin, and the woman is, was mature and loving enough to do so. She eventually starts to gossip and then colors her husband's view. No way. No way, Jose. Or speaking negatively about leadership because they've said something, counseled her, or preached something that shaped against her uncrucified fleshliness. Dr. John Street says a church that may have took years to build can be destroyed in an afternoon phone call between two fleshly, gossiping women. So a little caution. Our wives can influence us in a way that in some situations may conflict with scripture, the counsel of godly men and the leaders God's put in your lives. In other words, you might have a big situation in your family. You go get some counsel on it from the men God has put in your life. And then your wife starts to kind of grind on that counsel a little bit and sways you the other way. We'll have to be sure that we're living for God's glory in times like these, not for the glory of a pacified wife who makes our life easier in the home. That's one of the, probably one of the top three idols in the home that men tend towards, a pacified wife. What does that mean, a pacified wife? Yep, just, as long as she just shuts up and doesn't bug me. Yeah. Well, just let her make all the decisions. Let her be the boss. No, that's sin, gentlemen. That's flipped. That's flipped God's design, and it also is an affront to the triune God. And the way things are described in 1 Corinthians 11.3. So, I mean, how, what do we do if this is our situation? We'll, we'll talk about that. Repentance first. For God's glory, we may have to do the hard leadership thing by being willing to shepherd her, which may mean enduring a little wrath. But that's part of what leadership is, isn't it? A husband may need to bear a bit of wrath. He... Uh, he decides to live before, uh, as he decides to live before the Lord by siding with God's glory and word rather than his wife's emotional state or unrighteous persuasions. It's possible to overdo it when it comes to living with your wife in an understanding way. It's, in other words, it's possible to live with her too much in an understanding way and to sin if doing so involves going against the biblical counsel of godly men who, whom God has put in your lives. Again, we shouldn't get the idea here that all sin is the woman's fault, but neither should we get the idea that the woman has little influence over her husband and that he's not susceptible to the idols of my wife just making my life easy. What a tempting idol that is. The curse of manipulation, number four there. So because of the curse, some women use manipulative tactics, tactics to accomplish their will and control their husband. Again, all coming from this desire, Genesis 3.16 and Genesis 4, the desire to dominate. And these are just a couple examples. You guys could think of more, couldn't you? Um, sexual manipulation, that's a big one and a sinful one. Some women understanding that a man's God created and not, there's nothing wrong with a man's sexual drive, nothing. God made it for his glory. Uh, that it can be strong, and she can use sex as a tool for leverage. What an evil thing that is to do. A sinning wife may threaten to withhold sexual intimacy if her husband does not cater to her desires. For example, I'm not going to be intimate with you if you don't whatever. 
unrighteousness. A wife who does this is sinning against God and her husband, and she must repent. Uh, sexual intimacy in marriage is not given by God to be used as a de devious bribe to hold someone prisoner to a sinful, self-exalting, self-centered, proud desire. Um, some critical theory-influenced tendencies in evangelicalism now assert that if a husband suggests intimacy with his wife when she doesn't feel like it, that he's tending towards emotionally or spiritually abusing her. This is a movement, even in reform circles. It's nuts. This is not true. Any such idea is ironically manipulative and an abuse of scripture. Regardless of the biblical command, we often must obey when we don't feel like it. Luke 9.23, it's, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Further, scripture teaches that the wife's body belongs to her husband, and the husband's body to his wife. It's not how it works. Uh, emotional manipulation is another one that's big with wives. Some may use their hurt feelings to leverage their will. This is a big one, causing a stir, unnecessary crying, uh, getting animated, uh, using hurt feelings. Hurt feelings is one of the biggest misnomers. It's usually, it's often sin. It's a failure to love, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, because love is not provoked and love does not take into account a wrong suffered. But wives can use this. Excessive emotionalism may be employed when a husband seeks to shepherd his wife. They might use it as a leverage for their will. A husband who loves his wife and seeks to live with her in an understanding way may eventually give in to the manipulation because he's thinking, oh, I, I want to live with her in an understanding way. She's coming unraveled like a cheap sweater right now. So I, 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 better, I better just live with her in an understanding way. And there's truth to that. But he may cease attempting uh, to shepherd her and move the family in whatever righteous direction he might be trying to do. If you've sinned against her, okay, and she's emotional, well, then we, we need to repent and ask forgiveness. But emotional manipulation is a big tool that women use. Um, I don't feel well also. The, the, the modern culture has trained women to be sinfully attached to their emotions where well, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. And so I'm not going to do it. Well, my Bible says that you take up your cross, deny yourself when you follow Jesus. And taking up your cross meant what? In the original context, gentlemen. Yeah, die to self. Right? Self-death. You, you do it because God says so. And you do it with joy as well, by the way. Uh, even if the husband has been disobedient to the word, First Peter 3 says, well, accuse him of emotional abuse. No. He says, win him over without a word. As he observes your gentle and your quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. It is unacceptable, this movement we have, where husbands feel or where wives feel like they can disrespect their husbands, be boisterous, loud, emotional, manipulative. This is trash. This is sewage that this has happened and not only been allowed, but been propagated and celebrated. We have to take a stand against this to uphold the word of God and to honor the Bible. Like sexual intimacy, a wife is sinning if she uses her hurt feelings and emotionalism as a means to control her husband and subject him to her will. By the way, in case anyone's wondering, I did share this lesson with my wife uh, yesterday before I taught it. <laughs> uh, my dear wife.
Additional considerations on manipulation. Manipulation can harmfully influence a husband towards idolatry. In other words, a husband can make sex or getting her uh, to cease excessive emotional displays as his greatest goal. That can become her idol. Oh, I just got to get her to stop. Maybe, but maybe not. The idol of peace in the home can be quite powerful. A wife can make the home miserable, a miserable place for the man if she wishes. And she often knows what she's doing. Through the aforementioned manipulative, manipulative tactics, harmful influence, and rebellion. Please seek out, gentlemen, please seek out church leadership whom God has placed in your life to come alongside you and your wife as needed. Through this means of grace, these things uh, can be sanctified and transformed. This is not to be allowed or tolerated in the churches of God. And those who profess the name of Jesus Christ, not to be tolerated. Just like a husband in unrepentant sin, neither is to be. The modern woman and the curse. We got about uh, eight more minutes. Let's talk about the modern woman and the curse. So the modern woman is the photo negative of the dignified, mature, humble woman in scripture. Instead of, a, and we'll put verses here to kind of juxtapose, instead of a ton, tender and humble desire to respect her husband, the modern woman is competitive and disrespectful. Instead of seeking to demonstrate humble, willing, unified submission to her husband as unto the Lord, she tends towards contention, opposition, and playing the devil. Instead of seeking to be modest, reverent, and trusting the leadership God has placed in her life, in the home and the church, for Timothy 2.11, she is wise in her own eyes, has a high view of her opinion, and does not invite criticism from godly believers who know her. Instead of a gentle, quiet spirit that wins her husband over without a word, the modern woman is opinionated, independent, and uncooperative with her husband's headship. The modern woman also is the photo negative of the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, 11, her husband, the heart of her husband trusts in her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. What a wonderful thing that is. But instead of being trustworthy, supportive, and honorable, the modern woman tend towards unpredictability, emotionally driven, not always out for her husband's good. She cannot be trusted with things like sensitive information because she's, she's a gossip and, and opinionated. And she's manipulative and controlling. And when she gets offended, she wants to spew that offense on others. Proverbs 31, 26 says she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. But instead of opening her mouth in gentle, dignified wisdom and kindness, the modern woman voices are unsolicited and unbiblical opinions, uncharitable evaluations that are quick to conclude without asking more questions and a tendency towards believing the worst. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. But instead of seeking to grow and applying at this high view of God, the doctrines of grace, an awe of God, a reverence of God, a dignified woman, the modern woman fears man and desires to be exalted and exhibited before others and is offended when she's not. Contention in the modern woman so the modern woman is the Proverbs 21 woman instead of the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Proverbs 21, 9, Solomon may, or knew, may have knew something about wives, having 700 of them. It's better to live in, the corner, in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And in the ancient Israeli roofs, they were flat and living in the corner, you were just scorched. Better that than a contentious woman. Proverbs 25, 24, better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 
27.15, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman or alike. Uh, and, and in the Israeli houses, when it rained hard, the rain would leak through and just drip, 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 drip. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Have you ever tried to hold oil? Not happening. Neither can you with a contentious modern woman. One definition then, the modern woman tends to be the woman who does not fight the curse of the fall, who typically lives in the flow of the flesh instead of against it, rejects God's design for dignified biblical femininity as taught in scripture, who rejects it and embraces a degraded version of femininity. So just a brief conclusion here. Though the modern woman desires something of a biblical man, if you would press most women, they would want a biblical man, a guy who loves them unconditionally, wants to provide for them, live with them in an understanding way, lead them. Even a vile woman wants that most. The problem is because they won't become the biblical woman, they, they're going to have a lot of problems here. They betray their desire by refusing to become a biblical woman. The, the modern woman may suppose that she has evolved out of virtues like, you know, these archaic, ancient, oppressive things like submission, keeping home, respecting her husband, restraint on opinions, refusal to gossip, and giving herself to loving her husband and her children. However, a refusal to embrace God's biblical dignities of femininity is a step down. Any deviation from the biblical principles and commands of womanhood is always a step down, never up. It's always a regression, not a progression. Always. So, gentlemen, uh, as we conclude here, I, uh, you know, if you, if you were to take 100 men off the, the street of any city, <coughs> New York, you know, Bangkok, Paris, Chiang Mai, whatever it might be, and you were to ask them and press them honestly and say, you know, let's say they've been married for more than like six months, four months, um, and you sit them down and ask, and ask them, would you rather have the modern woman or the biblical woman? Which would you rather have? All unbelievers, I tell you, probably 97 of them would want the biblical woman. I mean, if you were to lay this out for a guy and say, you know, do, would you want a woman who is cooperative with you, who is not combative towards you, who wants to be your helper, suitable, who isn't opinionated, who wants to come un under your worldview, your view of God, your view of truth and righteousness. She wants to support you, cherish you, uh, not sexually manipulative, not emotionally manip manipulative, sees her body as yours sexually, doesn't withhold intimacy, wants to make the home a joy, a warm, comforting place. I, I doubt many guys would say, oh, that sounds terrible to me. I would hate that. Get that away from me. No, no one would say that. So it's the biblical woman whom God has designed to be the great blessing in a man's life and to glorify God. These aren't our opinions. Uh, these aren't some archaic, you know, sinfully oppressive, hateful, isolated, patriarchal culture that's looking to put a woman under her thumb. This is the glory of God who has designed women, who is the maker of all men and women, 
and is creating this as a blessing for her, for him, and for human flourishing. And so we must stand against, in love, in gentleness, but in truth and courage, we must stand against the, these, these ancient and new ideas, whatever, critical theory, other ideas that, that, uh, that this is oppressive, that, that the, the man is always the villain. We reject that. She is cursed just as much as the man. And a failure to embrace these dignified, God-glorifying roles for a woman is, is going against God and going against his blessed design for creation. So let us, by the grace of God, pray for our wives and seek to be the kind of men that God calls us to be. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that is clear and is helpful. We thank you that through the cross of Christ, uh, the residing power of your spirit, the teaching of your word, the fellowship with one another, uh, that we husbands and wives, that we can grow to repent of sin and embrace our respective roles. Help us as men to grow, to love, to lead, to learn about our wives, to be godly men in the homes. And I pray for also the women as well to embrace their role, to be respectful, submissive, dignified, have a quiet and gentle spirit. We understand that neither of those roles are oppressive or wrong, any, any such thing. All that is from the devil. Father, give these, these men great joy and strength. And all we do until we meet again Sunday for corporate worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.